someone grabbed my chain and then I just remember seeing that. A BBC live music event was ended early last night. The rapper Crept was attacked backstage. This was a millimetre deeper and it would have been a different scenario. He's a rapper and has collaborated with the likes of Teddy One and Stormzy. Stepdad was killed. Carl ran out of the room trying to fight them. Two more gunshots, everything silent. We can either go and retaliate or we take this music thing seriously, actually try to make it out of where we're coming from. The next thing we put out went viral. Skepta reached out and said, yo, we want to bring you guys on tour. It was such a life-changing moment for us. We started doing radio, TV, and we started branching out. Nala's baby, full of natural goodness. You would never put a rapper launching a baby skincare line in the same sentence. You should always feel uncomfortable, almost like you shouldn't be here. And that's the growth room, and you can't be afraid of that. Do you know what the company's valued at? 17 and a half. What do you think Blaine would think of Nala Baby? A cadet whose real name was Blaine Johnson has died. He was on the brink of doing something great. What's on your mind? We've got this complex like I'm not meant to cry like it makes you feel like less of a man or something I swear it scares me so without further ado I'm Stephen Bartlett and this is the diary of a CEO I hope nobody's listening but if you are then please keep this to yourself Crept. first of all thank you for being here I think, I've got, got to be honest, I think you're one of the, the smartest looking guests I've ever had sit in the chair. I'm very jealous <laughs> of your outfit today. Thank you, man. It's, it's <laughs> sick. Um, and the designer's a, a friend of mine who, um, who I met in Manchester a couple of, couple of months back. But where I wanted to start with you is um, back in South London, back in Croydon. I want you to, if you can, give me the context in which you were, you were raised. And when I say context, I mean, like, what were those things in your environment at an early age that ultimately shaped who you were and left those little kind of foot those fingerprints on on your personality and character to be honest like when I was younger when I was in school like all I knew and all my friendships knew were you know gangs and you know that kind of lifestyle that's all that we saw like you know everybody that I'll go to school with or you know outside of school that was that's that's what it was and you know we got caught up in a load of nonsense growing up but i was one of those people that always saw the bigger picture and i always thought i don't want to end up going to jail and i don't want to end up dying because that's what i saw like i i've lost so much friends due to you know coming from where we're coming from and like seeing friends that I've I've grown up with pass away to, to violence or crimes or, you know, friends. I've got loads of friends that are in jail for life and some for even things they didn't even do. So I always used to be like, you know, when 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 my friends was doing this or doing that, I'd always be like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do this and try and do that and because I, I do not want to end up in jail or dying. Like that was, you know, that's what we was used to. Like, and... It's sad because it's like, it felt so normal. Like the first time, you know, I was like 13 and hearing gunshots outside my house and coming out and someone's on the floor dead and I'm 
a 13 year old young boy and it it was like it was normal it wasn't even like something that seemed abnormal at the time it just felt like this is how it is when you live where you live or where you're from where you're from and that's what it was do you know what I mean and I feel like I've always always had my eye on being more than that like all the time so when you know my friends was getting involved in certain things I was like no I'm gonna I'm gonna finish college I'm gonna go to university and I'm gonna try my best to keep myself you know on a positive path like and I always fought this all the time and I always said yeah I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall into this trap because I'm seeing you know my friends falling into I'm seeing my friends going to jail I'm seeing my friends dying I'm like like when is it and it's and it doesn't end it doesn't stop you know new issues happen now you know you've got a problem with these people because of this or like and it just it's a constant cycle and I feel like I didn't want to get trapped in that cycle what, what was your family unit like um my my mum and dad wasn't together um my father went to jail for a lot of my childhood um and you know he so he wasn't around for a lot of the important moments in my life and that age where I feel like you probably need you know a father figure there um he wasn't um because he was in jail and you know again that's what I was you know seeing and that was what was a norm to me you know um growing up my mum was single and it was she was just you know doing her best to look after me and my brother um and I feel like she'd done an incredible job but there was still I'll never forget there was a moment where something happened and police came to my house and I'll never forget my mum said I failed as a mum and I can't explain how that made me feel and I was like there's no way on earth that I'm going to let those words even become a reality so I remember from there I was like I'm going to make this woman proud like if it's my the last thing I do and that was a really really big you know motivational moment for me why did that matter so much to you because my mum did everything she could you know she tried her best as as a single mum she tried her best she always you know wanted the best for me and wanted the best for my brother and you know being a single mum, knowing that there's bills and knowing that she was stressed and this, that, and the fourth. Like, I know she wanted the best for me and me feeling like, you know, I haven't even tried to appreciate or repay her for that. And her feeling like a failure, even though she done her absolute best. So that resonated with me and it really hit me when she said that. And... Yeah, from I remember from then, like the motivation I had, I was like, I'm going to, because I, I I didn't even want to stay in uni or I didn't want to, like, I was thinking, ah, that's long, like, I don't want like, And I was like, no, I'm going to go all the way and I'm going to graduate. I'm going to make her run and say, my son's got a degree. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do my music and I'm going to be successful in that. And she's going to be proud. I spoke it and knew it was going to happen because I was so determined from, from there to, to make it happen. So... Yeah. 
often when you're from an environment where people are being tempted to choose a nefarious life, so when, when they're being tempted to choose a slightly, you know, maybe it's a criminal lifestyle or something because they don't have the same level of opportunities in that environment. So often people look back and they can almost see how it could have gone another way for, for them, how they could have been tempted in that other path, because there's no doubt temptation to choose another path would have been present in that environment. When you look back on on those times, can you can you see how things could have gone another way? Hundred percent. Like there 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 was you know there was one specific moment that um, I remember when it was when Conan had a situation where his his stepdad was killed and his mother was shot. Can you tell me about that incident? What, you, yes. You wrote about that in a song. Yes, yeah, a, a song called My Story, um, where Conan was, um, I think he was coming back from radio, and Conan, um, when Conan got back, basically there was people waiting for him, and he was walking to his door, and he had his key in his hand, and he's always been a, a paranoid person. So he's always like ready to put his key in and cause like he was always alert and he always, he's just an alert person. He's always alert on, on point. And if this was probably anybody else, they probably would have died. But he was just by his door and then he heard people running behind and he just knew straight away. He didn't look back. He just put his key in the door, turned it, opened it, closed it. And then that's when, you know, he realised, like, okay, someone is definitely here to try and kill me. And they've got in the house um, and they've basically, when they're holding the door upstairs, um, they've shot through the door and one of the the bullets, you know, hit Conan's mum. And then Conan's stepdad at the time ended up wrestling with them and then he ended up getting shot um, and and dying. And then um, the guys left, but, you know, it was that situation that happened. And as you can imagine, what that, what effect or, you know, that would have had on him and everybody around him. So I remember we were sitting in a car and our friends was like, look, we can either go and do this and and retaliate or whatever, whatever it was. And I remember there was that moment of, oh, we, we, we take this music thing seriously and, you know, don't throw everything away right now and actually try to make it out of where, you know, we're coming from. And it was that moment of like, we're going to do the music. We're going to focus and put our all into this and, you know, see what happens. And that was like a moment where that could have easily gone a completely different way. Like we literally had nothing. We was, we, I remember we had an argument over the last bit of chicken and chips because that's the only money we had. Like we had nothing. And Conan was homeless. Like it was like probably the one of the worst periods of our lives and definitely Conan's for sure. Um, and I feel like from there, 
we done Otis, which was like a, a cover of Jay-Z and Kanye's um, song. And that song went viral. Mm. And it was like, it was the perfect time for something like that to happen because we could have done that it not done what we've, you know, not done anything. And then we could have just, you know, somehow slipped back into or whatever. But it was literally from that moment, the next thing we put out, bearing in mind, we've been putting out music, you know, and we've never had a moment like that before. And the next thing we put out after this disaster has just happened, the next thing we put out went viral and everything changed from there. Literally, you know, we put this out, and then from there, we ended up, you know, Skepta reached out and said, yo, we want to bring you guys on tour. And, you know, for any musician, when you go on tour and do live music, it's like, for the first time, it makes you feel like you're really a musician, like I'm really doing this for real. And that was really like a, a, a special moment for us that he's asked us to come on tour during this period. We was We were so new as artists, Skepta didn't, you know, we would have just done the tour for free. He didn't even, he didn't even just have us on the tour supporting. He paid us. Like he paid us per show. Like, and when I mean we were so, we was like, we're going to get paid to come on tour with you on a tour that is already sold out. He didn't need us there. And he had us on, on the tour and paid us as well. And it was just like such a life changing moment for us. Like, you know, I, I I just feel like the, the 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 stars aligned or something, but you know, being in that moment where you're like about to throw everything away, to then you're on stage live with thousands of people in front of you, like from that transition to that in mm. in in, you know, you couldn't make that up. Like that was just a, it was just a crazy time, and I feel like yeah, man, I feel like we obviously made you know, the right decision and yeah, we've never looked back since, man. The person that um, carried out that attack, um, did you ever find out why they did it and did they get caught? It's, it's weird because we don't actually, we'll never know who, who done it because... You'll never know who done it? No, because we, there was two people there. All oh, right. Um, and one person got arrested for it, but it, at the end of the day, you still don't know, you know, who and, done it. And they got sentenced? Yeah, they got sentenced. I think they got found with the weapon or something like that. But, um, yeah, there was two, so we don't actually know who's who's done it up until today. We know a lot about mental health these days. So more of a conversation now. But how does, you know, you're, you're by his side. How does Conan deal with that? Both of his parents being shot, one of them dying. Conan is like, I, I, it's one of those ones where I can't even explain on his behalf because it's not even something I can even comprehend being in that situation. Um, what what I know he, we have done is, you know, stayed doing music and doing what we love and actually growing in that world and actually, you know, becoming someone from doing what we love and, you know, the success that it's brought and all of, 
you know, the great things that have happened and, you know, us just growing and growing and growing. I feel like that has been a major distraction from the harsh reality of what's happened in, in his life. Do you know what I mean? And um, I feel like if we didn't, you know, have the success we had, I don't know what would have happened. There's in, it's interesting because I'm not sure if success... Um success heals like you use the word distraction it's actually the word that i would naturally use it kind of distracts you from the pain and then what you tend to see when i sit here with a lot of people is they, they still have to at some point address that pain, address that pain or it'll turn exactly. into alcohol or other exactly things, yeah you know? um and we see see that a lot with musicians especially you know so that's kind of what i'm getting to you've been through the same you've been through the same hurt and you've lost people in your life as well so you can kind of speak to that as opposed to speaking to conan's situation but how especially in like in that culture, in like the black culture, and especially black men, they don't talk about mental health, really. At all. Especially like, ten years ago, no fucking chance. No, nah, definitely you know what I mean? not. It's like we've got this, I don't know, complex, or we've got mm. this thing where we're like, no, oh, we're all right. Like mm. I can get through it. Like I'm not meant to cry, mm. and I don't know why, or how, or why we've been conditioned in this way, but we have, and we feel like. You know, we don't need to talk to anybody about feeling down. Like it makes you feel like less of a man or something. I'm not sure what it is, but, you know, it, it, it's definitely something that's important to me because, like, my one of my best friends committed suicide. And I have no idea why up until today. So, You're talking about Nash? Nash, yeah. Mm. And I, I don't know why. Like... The last time I was with him, we were celebrating that we just finished the shop. Like, bro, we did it. And he was like, I can't believe we've done it. We've done it. And he was so happy. And then he was showing me like, look at the emails I'm getting from people like that are showing interest. And he was so excited about it. But then a few days later, he jumped in front of a train. Like, what was, what did I miss? I was with him, spoke to him all the time. Like, and it was just, it was like, and we're like this. And he didn't not once express or make me feel that he was depressed or going through something mentally. Like I didn't know. And I'm with him every day. I didn't see it. So that's how I know how important it is, you know, for us as men and black men to you know, really not, you know, hide and cover and, you know, in our feelings and our emotions. And there's nothing wrong with talking about it or telling someone or going to therapy. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel like, I don't know why, I don't know why, but that situation made me realise how bad it is because I genuinely didn't see anything wrong with him. Like, we're speaking all the time. He's updating me. Look, what this has just happened. I'm going here, I'm going there, I'm doing this. Like, oh, this has just come into the shop. Got this order. Like, we're like, you know, and then we celebrated the fact that we finished the shop and so, it was built. So, so for context here, you, this is when you launched um, Crepes and Cones? Yes. So w w before launching Crepes and Cones, Nash was the person that was going to run it and manage 
the store. And for anybody that doesn't know, so I, I, I kind of heard the story that someone, a fan, had tweeted you guys one day about uh, how funny it would be or something that if you opened a restaurant oh, called yes, Crepes yes. and Cones, yeah, um, you trademarked it or yeah, no, I basically I. I can't remember. I had a conversation with someone one time and, and, and like, I remember the, the name came into my head and then I just tweeted one time. Right. I tweeted in 2014. I said, one day we're going to have a restaurant called Crepes and Cones. And I just thought it was a sick idea, sick name, sick player for the name. But in 2014, I never had anything. So it was, it was, it was just, it was a really big, just putting it out there, by the way, one day, I don't know if this is ever going to happen because, you know, I'm not in a position to make this happen, but I feel like I will be one day. And I just put out the tweet and then I saw people were like, oh, that'll be sick, that'll be sick. Loads of retweets, oh, that'll be sick. And then it was like, okay, one day, like we'll revisit that conversation. And then... Um, did you trademark it? <laughs> I didn't, you know. That's mad. I didn't. I did, no one did, luckily. We trademarked yeah. it a bit later down, but we we didn't even... I don't think I could afford to trademark yeah. it at the time. Like, I, I don't even think I could have afforded to at the time when I when I tweeted it. But I remember um, speaking to Nash about it and saying, yeah, one day, like, you know, I'm, I'm, this is what we, we need to do this one day. And he was like, that'd be sick, that'd be sick. But he was working in property and he was doing really well doing what he was doing. And I remember he called me and he was like, oh, I want to, I wanna, you know, it's time for change, man. I want to do something else. Um, what about the idea that you were saying? The crepes and cones thing? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And this was at a time when I, I, I could do it. And, you know, and Conan was like, yeah, let's, like he, he, he already knew it was something that we wanted to do. Do you know what I mean? So um, it was just like, who are we going to get to lead this for us? Because obviously we're musicians. We need someone that, you know, and when Nash broke down, you know, everything that he had been researching, learned, and, you know, people that he was going to get on board to, to be a part of it, and this, that, and the fourth, it was just like, this makes sense, let's do it. And there's no better person to do it with than one of our best friends, do you know what I mean? And so we decided, yeah, we're going to do it. Um, and, yeah, that was a nightmare in itself. Like, you know, just building a shop, like having builders going missing or you know, people trying to be middlemen, skimming off the top and this, that and the fourth. And Taking advantage of you because you're musicians as yes. well, right? So we had probably ended up spending triple what we should have spent on building it. Um, and it took like a year. Like when I mean, me and Nash was probably sleeping in that shop. There was days we had, we did sleep in the shop because we, you know, we had to deliveries and the next day and, you know, we need to get this done and, you know, we need to do that or do this and... And then we, we didn't trust any builders. We didn't trust anyone. So we had to be there while they was doing it to make sure they're doing it in a way that we told them they're going to do it. You know, because we'd leave them, they'd come back and then something's not done or and it's like, what have you been doing in the last week? And it was, and it was just, it was, a, it was a, probably just the worst, like, you know, experience in terms of our intro into this business world. Uh, I, I hated it. Like I was, I'm not going to sit here and say like, yeah, it was great. And it, was, and it wasn't, I hated it. I put my back up and it was like, okay, I don't, I don't, I know stepping into this world, I'm not going to trust anyone now. And that really, that restaurant really changed me as a, a businessman, really changed me as a, as a, the way I think and, you know, the way I approach things. And How? in terms of like, 
before, if somebody would come to me and say, this is how much this costs to do this, I would probably be like, okay, sounds reasonable. Let's do it. Now I'm going to ask 10 other people and get other people to ask another 10 other people and gauge if this makes sense and this is the right thing to do or not, or I'm getting the best value for money. Before I wouldn't do that. And I do that with everything. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm double checking everything, every aspect. Is this the best kind of thing to do? Or is there a way I can do this in a better way for the same price? It, and it's just made me like that. And it, I feel like it's turned me into a bit of a monster. Not a monster, but like I'm just really not the same person I was when I was making, you know, crepes and cones. That's what adversity does though. You, you build a callus and that becomes like self-defense, right? So more than anything, you want people to know that you're going to ask those 10 questions before they even come. Yes. To you because then they won't they won't, won't try it so you're playing self-defense which is what i do as well it's like if you know i'm going to ask 10 questions you're not going to give me the the bad price the first time you, you come up because you know because you know every time i interrogate it even if i end up saying yes i'm going to ask you all kinds of shit <laughs> yeah i get that a lot now like from, from people that i use and work with and they're like oh here he goes again yeah. on his tangents and yeah. asking 101 questions and i'm like double checking everything and but that comes from experience of Yes, being burnt, of right? being burnt, yeah. And I, we, we felt like we was burnt really badly on, on crepes and cones. What did it teach you about business? Because that was your first real like foray into business. I mean, you had like the apparel brand before then. Yeah, we done, we done, we sold like a lot of merch, which done, which done. That was what actually helped us make the money to invest in our music. So the, the selling the, you know, the apparel, the mm-hmm. merch and stuff like that. That's what we actually ended up getting money from to invest and do music videos and do that independently. But what's that, that, cause that experience setting up a restaurant, I mean, I used to work in a restaurant when I was, <laughs> my mum's restaurant when I was young, when so I was you seven, know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, the, the chaos of customers and complaints. chaotic. Like yeah. it, that, that, cause people, someone said to me when I was like, I'm doing a restaurant, it was like, that's like the hardest business to get into. Why are you doing that? Money. And I was like, really? Like I didn't. And then it, it became, extremely harder for us because you know Nash was our guy and you know us having Nash getting the staff hiring everybody dealing with everything accounts this that and the fourth and he was our guy leading this and then the week we're launching on the Saturday that earlier on in that week he commits suicide take me back to when you found out that that, that, that had happened it was, I think it was like someone was coming to the shop to do something. I, I can't remember what, what it was, but I was due an update from Nash on something to do with the, the shop and um, didn't hear from him the whole day. And I was like, this is odd because he would usually update us on everything. Like, oh, this has happened. And he was so excited. Like, oh, imagine this has happened. I found it. found the sickest bartender. Oh my God. I found the sickest chef. Look, look. And, and it, it was just like loads of that usually and we're a week away from you know launching we couldn't hear from him the whole day and we was like where where is nash like wow have you got through to him and we're asking like what's going on and you know we're messaging him trying to call him um and then um we were when we was at the restaurant um yeah, I got a call and someone was like, it's Nash. And he's dead. And I was like, and he was like, he jumped in front of a train. 
I'm even more confused because one of the last interactions we had, we was walking across the road and I remember the bus was coming and he grabbed me and was like, get out of the road, like, what are you doing? Like, and he's like, and I remember him going, bruv, don't do that to me, you scared me, like that kind of thing. Like the bus was coming and he grabbed, like it was a moment of, oh, the bus was coming. Like straight away, I, I was thinking about, I was like, that, there's no way he did that because I remember, the, like, why would he do that? How? What was wrong? Why didn't we see it? Like, there was so much questions. Like, and I just remember breaking down outside Notting Hill, like, tears crying. I was like, there's no way this is real. And then we was going to just cancel the, the launch. And then someone close to him was like, he wouldn't want you to do that. And it, we made a decision and said, you know what? We're just going to do it. Um, we ended up having to find, you know, all the people, the stuff, people that he was contacting and try and get hold of them to keep this thing going for launch. Um, and I managed to kind of get majority, but not everybody or everything in, in line that he had prepared. We're grieving and we're launching and we don't know what we're doing. At the, all at the same time. So, and the day is launch day, you know, we've got the mayor of Croydon coming out and cutting the ribbon at the shop. And the whole time I'm thinking about Nash. Like, Nash should be here. We're taking a picture. Nash should be in this picture. Like, when we open these doors, I don't even know what's going on. So people thought we was there because of PR. And we're in a restaurant serving people doing this, doing that. No, we wasn't. I wasn't in there because of PR. I was in there because I had to be in there. Had to work in there. I had to, like, I was literally working in that restaurant, you know, cleaning toilets, wet, you name it. I was doing everything, you know. And people thought it was a PR thing and was doing it for PR and it genuinely wasn't. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And it was, it was scary, man. Like, it was like, we've literally just launched this massive thing. The queue is from here till the end of the road. Like, I've never seen anything like it. The queue was so long and it's like, all these people are coming to eat here oh my God, and, you know, we're going through this and, you know, it was, it was, it was like a bit of sweet, but mainly bitter because, you know, it was, you know, in the restaurant world, you're dealing with people's emotions. You're not dealing with, your, forget your emotions. You've got to deal with the staff's emotions. You've got to deal with the customer's emotions. If your chef is not in a good mood today, he's now going to burn this rice or he's going to, do something maybe out of character or, or, or something. Um, and so I've got to rely on my chef's emotions every single day, even if he's going through his own issues or, and it's not just one chef, there's two, three, four. Then, you know, if you're your main bar person, it's a Saturday, busy night, decides I'm not turning up for work because they've had an argument with their partner or whatever it is. What do, what do I do? So this whole business is relying on other people's emotions and even the customers the customers come in they're not in a good mood they're already just i'm not in a good mood i want my food and i want it in five minutes and if i get it in seven minutes i'm kicking off but just because they're in that mood so you're, you're constantly dealing with emotions and people's feelings every single day and for you to get that right every single day and everybody's emotions be great and everyone's in a great mood like the, well you're still dealing with your own right and we're grieving do you know what i mean and 
I remember COVID happened and then it was just like, it gets even worse. And our, our restaurant was, you know, it was about coming in there and vibes and experienced music, drinks, this, that and the fourth. And that was what it was. So it wasn't like takeaways. Like, you know, everyone's like, yeah, just adapt and do takeaways. Yeah, that's fine. But our whole business was built on vibes and we did, we did like Sunday events and we did, like it was really an in-person, that, that's what we created. But the restaurant done so well, it managed to, you know, survive throughout the COVID stuff. But then we was not going to reopen because of the stress and what it was doing to us mentally. I didn't care about the money. You know, people are like, oh, you're sitting on a gold mine, you get this right, you just to get it right. And, you know, you can... And I was like, I hear you. Sounds great. I can't deal with it. Like, it's too much stress. Like, I was in there every day. I was losing weight. I was, I was drained, tired. You know, I remember a guy came in and stole everything because he pretended to be a friend of ours and the staff that was working there, or the cleaner, believed him and was like, yeah, your friend came in and took all the iPads and all the, the, the equipment. And I was like, what? What, what, why would you, what are you talking about? And then gone in there, there's nothing. That, like, they've taken all the stock, it's that. I'm just like, what is going on? Like, this is, this is crazy, I can't deal with this. And it was just like, I'm not, I don't care what potential this has. I'm not doing it. And then um, my, f- my friend, Bouncer introduced me to some guys and said, look, these are some really good guys. You know, they've got these successful restaurants. They run it amazingly and this, that and the fourth. And, you know, they're interested in partnering up with you guys to just, you know, make this work because, you know, you, you've clearly got something here. And these guys came and they said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. We'll take away all the headache. Let's, let's, let's make it work, man. We, you know, we see, in, we see this being big. We feel like we can franchise it. We feel like we can do this, that and the fourth. And I was like cool let's do it let's give it another shot um um as long as you know i don't have to bear that that the brutal reality of you know running a business running a restaurant have you ever have you ever um have you ever like truly taken time to because you use the word grief we were grieving what does that actually look like when you say we were grieving because from what from what i'm guessing it and from my assumption of hearing the story it seems like your version of grieving has always been to just kind of distract yourself. That is literally what I do. And I just feel like, and I don't know if I feel like I'm scared to stop and take everything in. So I've always keep going. I'm just like, oh, that's happened. Got to keep going. Because if I stop and, and I don't know if that's a recipe for disaster or not, I'm still waiting to find out. I don't know. When, when Nash passed, it was like, I felt like, okay, I've got to make this work now. I've got to make Crepes and Cones work because what? This, this like, he'd done so much and we spoke about so much and, you know, this can't just die in vain. I feel like through the stress, that was one thing that made me just feel like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do with it, I'm just going to do with it. It was only being forced by COVID to stop everything where I've sat down and was like this do I want to start this shit again yeah do I want to do this again mm. do you know what I mean but what kept me going was that and yeah how are you feeling though when because again you, you know you keep yourself busy you keep yourself distracted but what's going on un- behind the mask like underneath the hood 
everyone on the surface, you know, you, you, you're keeping up appearances to keep things, the ship moving. But how are you actually feeling? Like when you go home at night and when you do have those moments to yourself in the car, like how are you feeling? Believe it or not, I don't really have their moments. Like I literally will be trying to do something until I'm tired and go to sleep, wake up and continue doing it again. Like I, I don't feel like I've sat down and taken in everything that's happened. I don't think I have. And I swear, this scares me because I'm like, you're taking in so much, you're taking on so much. And all I do is just, you know, keep working. I keep doing this, I keep doing that. But then I feel like, you know, I've got a lot of positive, you know, even, I don't want to call it distractions because it's my life. So I'm not really being distracted because this is my life and this is what comes of it and this is what I'm doing and this is what I love doing. And I'm doing that. But at the same time, I'm dealing with a lot of grief, like a lot of it. And I haven't sat down and, you know, taken it all in and said like, wow, like, how am I feeling? Because I'm always just trying to distract myself I guess but have you ever seen moments where that grief or that all the things you have been dealing with have caused your behavior to change in an unpleasant way that sometimes is one of the like the indicators that there's something there's something underneath going on kind of like what you said about yourself just you know there's when you're dealing with things maybe the first thing that might go I mean some people start self-medicating with alcohol or whatever it might be but then other people you just see changes in their behavior they, they might get a bit more angry they might be a bit more cold a bit more distant a bit you know what I mean? Have you ever have you ever seen any of those symptoms in yourself because of the grief? Yeah, I think cold. Um and I feel like I've dealt with so much, I'm not dealing with this. And I feel like so when something happens where I feel like I'm not dealing with it, I'll just switch off. Are you thinking about like relationships? What are you thinking? Friendships, about? whatever it is. Like it's not you know, whether it's business, whether it's making a decision that you might not have made before. I felt like, you know, I might have been too nice here or been too nice there. And just everything's just made me feel like, you know, I've been through a, a lot more. I'm not going to make you add to my stress or make this add to my stress. So I'm really quick to just dismiss things or, you know, and I feel like I've I've become a little bit more cold to it because I'm just like, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to... It's it's almost like I'm protecting myself from feeling any more hurt mm. or emotion. That's one strategy, isn't it? Just to numb life. Yes, yeah, just like, I'm like, oh, negative vibes. Mm. Oh, this is... No, no, no. No, I'm just like this. And I feel like, you know, I, anything that I feel is a remotely negative, I'm just like, I'm out. That is probably a good short-term strategy in some situations but over the long term again there, there's probably probably a cost especially now that you're a father right yeah and one of the things you're trying to instill into your own child is probably like emotions and understanding your emotions and that it's okay to feel and and even go the other place i you know i think people often see it is in their like romantic relationships mm. when you're in because men and women have a different uh way about them emotionally yeah definitely typically right and so um, women are typically more in touch with their emotions 
and men are typically less in touch with their emotions. At least that's a, a broad sort of stereotype. So it sometimes can make it difficult when a man has like numbed himself to deal with stuff to then be able to emotionally connect with some a woman in the way that I'm talking about myself as well here yeah. that she 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 needs in order for you to speak the same language if you know what I mean yeah when your when your music career started taking off and all these crazy things start happening um in your own estimation what was the moment where you go that was meh, everything really really changed when we dropped that um everything really really changed otis was like a partial change that was like the, the first lift off that was the first lift off but it was like okay what's next then yeah and then the next big moment that we had was when we released our project called young kings mm-hmm. it was like our independent mixtape mm-hmm. that we done um and we got a guinness world record for it for being the highest independent charting album 18th or something wasn't it like, yeah it's like 18 yeah, yeah. it's like top 20 and it was like and that was before streaming crazy so that was just you know based on physical people buying it and you know that was a real like whoa moment for us because just before that like that period after Otis and mm-hmm. before Young Kings we was dealing with so much rejection like in terms of not even just rejection but you know people saying oh maybe you should put a, a girl in your group and you can be like N-dubs and maybe that might work out for you. Or have you tried the Ant and Deck thing? Like just being comedians or what? like it was bare of like just loads of people, you know, just giving us their projections of what they think we should be. And it just felt like they wanted to just chew us and spit us out kind of thing. And and that's what it felt like. And, you know, we started then trying to make records to please what the radio wanted or, you know, what we felt would have got on TV. And then we sat down. I remember we sat down with Skepta, big up Skepta again. We sat down with Skepta and we was like, yeah, man, like, like the labels, man, they're not, they're, they're trying to make us do this or they want this kind of sound. And I remember Skepta said, just sat, Skepta and Jammer, they was, was in Skepta's house and he was like, forget radio, forget TV. Forget record labels. Just do you. Do whatever it is that you want to do. There's independent pluggers that will plug you to radio themselves. You don't need a label to get do all of these things. Just do it yourself. Put it out yourself. Like, don't watch. And then they're going to come to you. I'll never forget he said that. He said, they're going to start coming to you. That was, like, a really important moment for us where we re- released our project and the music that we made was just, like, what we wanted to make. And, you know, we made Don't Waste My Time. Mm. And when we made Don't Waste My Time, it was like, it was purposely made to be like, yeah, we don't care what anyone has to say. This is the music we want to make or we're going to say what we want to say on the song and you lot can't tell us anything. I'll never forget when we put it out, it just went crazy. Like the song started going everywhere, performing it. Then, you know, the song ended up on um, Creed, the movie, and like, you know, out to Bellow's entrance song, like it was a massive moment in Creed. And it was like, we'd done all of this with a song that we knew, like we, we just thought this is, this is what we want to do. Don't waste my time. Yeah, that yeah. was don't waste my time. And we was just like, yeah. Like, and then as Skepta said, everyone ran into you now. Everyone was like, oh my God, when I sign record labels, left, right, said, oh my God, like, Throwing checkbooks, so yeah, we want you, we want you, and then it just really was like a, it was like a really three hundred and sixty, and and then we started doing radio, 
and you know tv and we started you know really branching out and people always like how did you get into that but the reason why we how is because we always over deliver on little opportunities so we got a radio opportunity to do to to with apple to do a show that they've been doing with everyone so not everyone but like a selective few of artists everybody gets i think like six episodes um and then they move on to the next artist we ended up on episode 36 or something but it was because we was like we got this opportunity we know how everybody else has done these shows and what they're expecting which is they're not expecting much from us but what if we make this a sick show what if we go out of our way bring other guests on have games let's do fun let's do fun things let's make this entertaining and actually make the show a good show and that's what we did so our show was nothing like what they expected we went above and beyond we had everybody coming on our show from americans to swiss french to you know the daves to aj like everybody's come on our show and we didn't have to do that we didn't get any extra to do it we just said we're gonna you know take this opportunity and make the most of it and from that you know they kept offering us more shows and more shows and more shows and then someone you know brought up the the tv show the rap game and said like who do you think and because of our radio show and like they was like no these guys would be great for this that opportunity came to us and someone recommended us to do the rap game and then we ended up in tv but that was all because we just put that extra bit of effort in a small opportunity and I feel like a lot of people, you know, don't even think like that. Like some people think there's an opportunity here. This is what's expected of me. This is what I'm going to do. And I just don't, I just don't live by that. And Conan, we don't live by that because I feel like if you over deliver and show what you actually can do in any situation, what can come from that is going to be a lot more. And it's always worked it's so true that you can take a when someone presents you with an opportunity they're actually it's almost like they're actually what you see there some people will see an opportunity but what you're actually if you look behind the opportunity is a set of dominoes yes that if you flick the first domino and you succeed in the first opportunity there's this cascading set of opportunities that arise from it but if you don't do a good job on that first domino hitting that first domino hard enough you'll never start the sort of you know the knock-on effect when i see that in everything that i've done even becoming a dragon or you know because it's very easy when you become a dragon just to fall in just to <laughs> fall in line right just to sit there yeah but for me it was like here's an opportunity for me to really try and express myself exactly you know and, I, I, mean? and, and I, I noticed that when i watch it i'm just like i'm so glad yeah. he's just being him and yeah, yeah. saying like what he truly feels and yeah, not yeah. just yeah, yeah. like it's sick to see do you know what i'm saying because it, it's funny because i it wasn't i'm not saying i'm not saying it was a maybe it was a little bit conscious but my thinking is Look, I'm gonna. I I can get kicked off the show anytime. <laughs> I might as well like do it my way and have yeah, a bit yeah, of fun yeah, with it, yeah. and at least like leave a mark because the dragons in the past that I've like resonated less with are those that didn't show the full side of their personality and acted too much like a dragon. And acting like a dragon to me is it is like sitting there and just like I'm out. Oh, like I like your business. That's good. I'm going to invest. So for me, it's like well. In reality, my personality is a bit more diverse than that. So Exactly. So people watching that will see like, there's more so. to him than this 
whole dragons thing and then you know yeah. other opportunities are gonna and they have it's crazy it, it, it's yeah. mad and I, I, yeah. I swear I live by that I genuinely do I feel like don't see something as for what it is on, on, on the surface and face value just there's a lot more that can come from this if you really just put in a bit more effort money money starts coming in for you in your life people don't teach us anything about money I mean you did go to university for accounting so I thought maybe you had a bit of an advantage there but I don't, don't even know if that's true. I just, I just saw it in your, uh, in your CV and thought, yeah. oh, maybe that helped him. But money coming in, nobody teaches us what to do with, with it, especially in, I think, I've got to say, I think in the, in the like hip hop community, there's a lot of narrative around like, go and get the, go and get that car or go get, buy this watch or go buy this shiny thing. And I also think that sets us back as well. That's something that's, I've always, in more recent times when I've started to understand money and how it works and, I've met billionaires and I've met people that literally their careers are just playing money games where they understand how to get this money and, t- and double it and they have a- all the- and they also have access. So they get the deals first. If Airbnb is going to go into the stock market, they'll get a 50% discount. It goes public the next day. They sell the next day and they make double their money. So it's access, but it's information. Yeah. And I just feel like, you know, we a, a lot of people have been deprived of that information. So when you start getting money in your life... What's your relationship? I, I agree a hundred percent because there's things that I just found out about that I just didn't know existed. And it's like, why don't we know this? You know, um, but like, I feel like it starts from school. I feel like there should be a class in school that teaches you on this. Like just things like credit. There was something at uh, uni, there's like, you get some 750 pound overdraft thing yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and then I was like, I was £750. Yeah, Free I'll do that. Yeah, like, oh, great. And then they're chasing, what are they going to do? They're not going to do anything. I'm not going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then, but like, it was just not knowing that this stuff actually matters. <laughs> affects you for years to come. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know, just even paying fines or whatever it is. Like, yeah. there's things that, you know, this, if you don't do this or you don't pay this or it's going to affect you in the long run. Yeah. And I just never knew. And I'm someone that would, if I knew, I heard it once, that's it. I'm never going to... I never knew. My first car was a Range Rover Sport and it was they wouldn't let me put it in my name. So I, I my business partner, had because he had credit, he put it in his name. And then, so I was driving around in this Range Rover Sport, living in a seven-bedroom house with a tennis court. And my I honestly, they wouldn't lend me 200 quid. Because <laughs> <laughs> I destroyed it when I went to uni. No. I dropped out of uni straight away, but I'd gone and I'd got these overdrafts. I just blown it's the overdra- CCJs. It's like they set you up for it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I swear to you. It's yeah. like, because like, I know so much people that's gone down that same university yeah, yeah, yeah. path of... They offer you this big shiny seven hundred fifty pounds yeah. like, that you don't have to pay back. And it's just yeah, you do have to pay it back, <laughs> but you, you have to pay it back. But like the way they coat it is in like you know, it's, free you money, thought, you, it's yeah. a trap that we fall yeah, into yeah. because we don't know the consequence yeah. of if we don't do this, then this happens. And I just feel like it stems from us. I feel like this being something that we should learn at, in school, like you know, before we start taking credit out and start doing things that affect our credit we should be learning about it but there's nothing that you know really teaches you that in school I, and you know all my peers or my friends and none of us knew nothing about credit and I just think why, why is it like so hidden or why is it not really projected is it a parent's role to tell them about credit and you know I feel like it now it is because it's probably become a lot more of a thing nowadays but yeah and, and just things like you know, when you, you you end up in this world of business and, you know, there's things that you find out about, you know, like 
EIS, SEIS mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I just, I just couldn't believe this stuff existed. And it was like, yeah, when you, you know, if, if you, you know, I've got someone, uh, uh, Jason, um, who invested in Krebs and Cones and stuff like that. And, you know, had no idea about EIS and SEIS and that you could get, you know, a percentage of his investment back. And, you know, from tax that he's previous, and it's just like, what? Why don't we know about this? Like, why is this, you know, there's there's so much like even research and development, mm. you know, you being able to claim money back from that. And it's like, a lot of people have probably watching this have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm. And it's just like, why? Why don't, why, why is this stuff not normalised or people knowing about this stuff? Because there's so much ways to do things, you know, and there's so much different methods of supporting, you know, you doing startups or investing or do, there's so much things to, you know, relieve the intense, you know, amount of money you might end up spending to make that a little bit better or you not having to spend as much or you being able to claim this back. It's, it's crazy. And I just feel like it's proper hidden. And as you, as you, you know, you get further and further into an, an, a different world, you, you find out about, a lot of things that you didn't know about before. When you first started getting money, what were you spending it on? Um, when I first first got money, I think the first thing I probably bought was a car. Mm. Like, Are you w- good with money? Yeah. Back then? Back then, I, I wasn't bad with money. Like, I wasn't bad with money. I I always thought, I, I want to, you know, there's there's nice things that I really, really want to get. Like, I wanted a, a, a nice car and this, that and the fourth. But I, w- I wasn't really, like, over crazy going crazy with money I haven't been like that um I feel like I've always been you know good at managing money putting money aside budgeting money I feel like I'm really really good at that Um, what advice would you give to people then that are young especially young people that are you know about to embark on their own career and that might if they're lucky come into money what advice would you give them um you know try not to upgrade your actual lifestyle as much as you feel like you should straight away because the thing about money is this it's not even the short term of it it's the long term of living costs and that lifestyle that maintaining that is expensive because you know you might think yeah i've got x amount of money i'll go buy this i still got that it's not because over time you've got to keep spending that money these bills are going to keep rolling in you've got to keep paying for this car you've got to keep paying for this house you've got to keep paying for all these bills you've got to keep if you want to go out and have fun on holiday you want to keep this is you know so my thing is is if you do get more, more money try to keep the same lifestyle as much as close as to what you was already living you know because it's, it's the silent direct debits and the silent non-stop bills and the silent favours here and there and the silent holiday it's, that is the silent killer is of of what happens to people the lifestyle do you think that like hip hip hop culture is guilty of of encouraging people though to upgrade it is you know what i mean because if it I, is. I think most of my when i think about why i was buying bottles of don perion in nightclubs the minute i got money it's definitely because of music videos you know what i mean no it, there, there, there there is um but then and because I was insecure. So it's a combination of the both. It was like, yeah, you're you just, insecure because you were broke and you were the only black kid in an all-white school and you always wanted to be have validation. Look at 50 Cent over here with these bottles. He looks like he's validated. So Yeah. No, I feel, I feel like it is. It, 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 and, the, and the clubs know what they're doing as well. Like, like, I don't know if you ever noticed, but in the club, 
they always make it look like people's ordering more bottles than yeah, they actually yeah, they are getting. Yeah, they bottles and they put them back in the back of the room. Yeah, but to an, a person that's just in there, they're like, oh, it looks like he's just done, t- I need to, it needs to. One like, day. Yeah, and then it's just like, it's just this culture of them just taking your money. The, the thing is, you know, they, they put gambling shops do best in areas where people don't have money because people are in those areas. That's why if you go into a more sort of deprived area, you'll see multiple gambling shops because they, they know that, people in those areas to them money means so much more and it's a real get out so they're much more susceptible i believe to gambling addictions and to being reckless with their money because if i can bet 50 quid and get 500 that changes my life whereas if you you're not going to see gambling shops in rich areas because they're not they they might have the information to understand the actual odds but b um they don't a big bet isn't going to change their life in the same fundamental way they don't have the same money insecurities and I think this is part of the problem within within the like the like hip hop culture, which is a lot of people are starting out without it, so they have those insecurities about money. And money is probably the reason for a lot of pain in their home. It's probably the reason they saw their mum and dad arguing. They saw a lot of pain around money in their home, um, and so they always they always felt that it could fill that void. And then when they get a little bit of it, they're so much more intent and compelled to signal to everybody that, else that they no. got it. Yeah. By making reckless money decisions. And that's this kind of perpetual cycle because then people are looking up at them and going, okay, when I get it, I'm going to buy the bottles of Dom Perignon and I'm going to... Yeah, and, 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 and it's like, it's one of those ones where you, it's like you can't even really help because, you, you you know, we can make, you know, all of these decisions and that show them like, look, you can do these and, you know, invest your money and do this, do that and forth. But to someone who is coming from nothing that has just got, this big fat check from a record label, you're going to tell me not to go and buy a watch or not to buy a chain and match everybody else that's looking, you know, that, you know, everybody, all the girls love and this, that, mm. or whatever it is that the reason, their reason for feeling they need these things or these items. Like, how do you tell them, no, don't do that, do this? Well, I think it's, I think part of it is people like you who've been through that who they can, who they trust. Because if someone else says it, they ain't going to listen. If their mum or dad says it, who ain't been through that process, who ain't made the mistakes, says I, it, they ain't going to listen. I can't tell you the amount of times I've spoken to like young artists. artists and said, don't go and just splash your money or don't, you don't need to go and buy these things or buy that or you don't need to do it. And they're like, yeah, but I, I need the chain at least. Like even maybe if it's just a chain or I need something to look like a rapper. That's what I'm saying. So it's like self-fulfilling. It's a cycle. Yeah. Because they're going, well, if I don't get the chain, then I'm not that rapper who I want to be someday. So if that rapper that they wanted to be someday was talking about investing and starting companies and and all that stuff, they might be saying, I need to invest this money in the stock market or I need to buy a property because Skeptics just bought, you know what I'm saying? But the the issue is, is, you know, they, they, they need to understand that that is a, a longer game. And it's more about the future. But as a rapper that might blow up now, mm. they're going to get these bookings and be on these t- television programmes and be in these clubs and be in these parties with the artists that are shining, that have the good watch on, that has this, they are going to be around that. So mm. that's immediate. You know, so telling someone, you know, forget the immediate, think about the long term but they're in the media every single day and witnessing the immediate now. How do you tell them to ignore that? It's hard. So even when I, you know, I sit down and have the, don't get me wrong. Like there's, there are a lot of people that do listen and, you know, do you want to do other things? And, you know, that have come and asked me for advice and asked me to intro to, 
introduce them to this person or that person and I'll, I'll always do that. But there's definitely been a lot that's like, no, but I, I definitely need the chain. I need, I need to at least have, you know, a bust down Rolex. I need it. Like I need a bust down. Like everybody's been saying, you know, you watch all the, uh, you know, big artists in the world, they've all got crazy chains on. Like, you know, you look at Hove, Jay-Z, he's one of our biggest, you know, the people that we look up to as a musician and a businessman. He's got on a sick watch every time I see a new picture of him. Or he's got, you know what I'm saying? He's got a big chain. Like he's still, there's still that element. I feel like for artists, the compromise is both. Like go and do that stuff, but you still need to do that stuff. Don't just do everything and buy, you know, spend your money and splash your money on cars and jewelry and this. Don't do that. Maybe, you know, if you want to do, get your little starter pack and, Mm. you know, be on your way, cool. But don't, you know, go and spend all of your money or a big chunk of your money on that. Like, you know, if you want to do that, do it in, you know, either stages or do it in, you know, you don't have to do it all at once. I guess I understand the point as well that like, this is branding at the end of the day. It, it is, like, it is. like. But behind know. Jay-Z, you, you do have one hell of a portfolio. Same with Diddy, like, you have an unbelievable property portfolio, art collection. You hear, he's made crazy bets, but you're right. He, especially in the early days, before he yeah, was Yeah, he, he, he did. Like, he and, brand and it's, it's branding, isn't it? And, you know, it's hard because I feel like for, for a lot of new young artists, knowing everything they ever wanted was to be like that rapper they're watching and become to then turn around and be like no don't do that I completely agree I just I feel like they have to go through it what they wanted though was to be validated and they wanted to fit in and they wanted to be accepted because when you when you go through it yeah you're right it's like oh you're you're yeah but is there not that's what I'm saying like this is so systemic that it's not as easy as I'm um, it sounds like I'm making out like it's a really deep systemic system which is held in place like and I realise that when I've tried to have conversations and tried to be like yeah no this is what you need to do and if you want me to introduce this you should put your money into this and they're just like yeah yeah okay alright and then they go and buy the next you know what I'm saying chain that or pendant or whatever it is well, you, and, what you're doing now is the, the best the best possible thing and that exactly and like it's a lot deeper than just you know a brand it's more the fact that what kind of brand what you are mm. and showing them that okay I can actually do anything then or you know the, the, the sky's the limit and them actually seeing that this is just as big, if not bigger, than mm. music. Because it's an example that they're following. They're following the example of the one, the, the rapper that they admire that came before them. So words are fucking great, right? Whatever. Like they're not as powerful as an example. Actually, exactly. You know, that's what role models are. So. Yeah. so it's just actually going and, and doing the things yeah. and them seeing it. And they'll be seeing all this stuff you've been doing when not everyone will be seeing it. And they'll be thinking, hmm, okay. Yeah, and it, and it will spark a lot of yeah. people to think, you know what, let me do that idea that I had in my head a year ago. Yeah. Like, why not? Because, you know, at me being a rapper to launch, you'd never put a rapper launching a baby skincare line in the same sentence. Mm. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Even though it makes so much sense for my life because I have a child and a daughter and it, and it makes sense. But just the fact that I've turned that into something and then them actually seeing that, okay, what it is, is actually a good thing. Like it's not, you know, there's, I feel like there's one thing putting 
your name to a brand or saying, this is my brand, go and buy it. And then actually, another thing, actually bringing something out that in that market, there's a crazy demand for and they're actually loving it. For anyone that doesn't have the context, um, you've launched Nala's Baby, which is a um, a, a child care, a child skincare? Yeah, skin and hair care um, range. Named after your daughter? daughter Nala. Nala. Yes. And this is actually how we first met, because I was filming Dragons Den in Manchester. We were both in this restaurant called Tattoo. It's my friend's, one of my friend's restaurants. Great restaurant, go check it out. <laughs> one of my favourite restaurants actually in the yeah, country. Banging. Yeah, it's, it's banging. It's yeah, it's banging. Um, and you came over and said, you know, you introduced yourself, because I think we'd been, we'd we had, been DM'd. We had on social, yeah. yeah, yeah, but we obviously never met face yeah. to face. And that's one of the first things you told me about. You said, I'm launching this brand in, in, a, in a week or two or whatever it was. And you, you after that, you, you sent me the deck of it. And uh, I couldn't believe it. I was sat there with Peter Jones and Deborah Mead and all the dragons. I was like, man, this guy's fucking launching this sick brand and it's going into 400 boot stores. Because I've just been in the den all day <laughs> listening to entrepreneurs trying to figure out how to get into like, I don't know. <laughs> they're like having these, one of them's having a meeting with boots and they're just getting like blackballed or they're getting like yeah. sidelined or whatever. And for, for you to come up to me and be like, oh, we're in 400 boot stores. I'm like, that's the investment I was looking for all day. Do you know what I mean? I've been looking at hand sanitizers. <laughs> And you got all the shit set up before you even dropped it. You had seven figures of investment. You had this cap table, these investors that are celebrities and that are, you know, big names and that are legit people. And you said, yeah, I'm about to drop this brand in, in, a, in a week or two um, in 400 boot stores. I couldn't quite believe it. I was like, that's mad. And why doesn't, why isn't people, why, you know, why isn't everybody talking about this? And then a week or so later, everyone was talking about it. Yeah, because I hadn't announced it then. Right. They were still, I was basically like a week or two away from actually announcing it. Right. And um, yeah, so it was like, it was, it was one of those ones where it was like, even explaining it to you, I was like, he's probably thinking, how come I've never heard of it or why? Mm. But because yeah, we, we hadn't announced it at that point, but the amount of preparation that went into even just the announcing to the launch. How long did two, that whole project? Two years? Two years, right. like two years before before Nala was born. Um, basically how it, how it started was Sasha, who's Nala's mum, um, was pregnant with Nala and she became really like, oh, I want everything natural, we're having a baby, I want the best for her. As as mothers do, do you know what I mean? And that she got introduced to an app, it's like a product re- re- rating ingredient app um, called Think Dirty. So it rates products from zero to 10. So 10 being the absolute worst and zero being the cleanest. So we're getting, you know, baby shower gifts and loads of people are giving us gifts and loads of them are products and, you know, skincare, haircare products. So we're putting all of these products in the app and all of these products, you know, they're claiming that this, that and the fourth and a lot of the products are coming up as eights and fives and like looking for the zero like is there any zero zeros here like because it literally rates each individual ingredient oh so zero is a good score zero is the best score so that means it has zero bad ingredients in there and like it highlights each ingredient of what number it gives each each ingredient and how harmful and you can click on it it gives you the details it's really detailed and you know thorough so i was like there's no zero rated like baby range in any of these any of the brands that we're getting because all the brands was like they're available in all the high high, high street um, retailers and stuff so I'm just like nah this this can't be right and she was just like I don't want to use anything on, on her when she's born because why is there no and then we did see like a few random zeros 
here and there, but you know, they're either really expensive, you know, talking like twenty pound a bottle, twenty five pound a bottle, or whatever it is, or they're from another country. They're not even sold here. Um, so you know, when she kind of brought this to my attention, it was like me having my business hat on. It was like, it was just like, why don't we, why don't we make, make it? Why don't we make that? And then we thought, is there a reason why there isn't? Maybe, maybe there's a reason. Maybe it's not feasible. Or what's the reason? Why isn't there? Why doesn't this exist? And then um, it was like, all right, cool. Where do we even start? And then I reached out to someone um i don't i'm not sure she wants me to say her name on that because she's really like private but she's a g and i i I brought the idea to her and she was like this is a sick idea and um funny enough i met an amazing manufacturer like a week ago so I will present this to them and see if it's something that they want would want to do. Um, but let's 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 mock up the branding and let's get the branding right so that you know when we bring it to them they can kind of vision it. So you know we're working back and forth in with the branding and we're like, yes, this is it. This this looks exactly how we want it to look. And um, she took it to the manufacturers and the manufacturers was like, let's do it. Like this sounds like a, an, an amazing you know idea. Um, you clearly done research and you clearly have a USP and you know know exactly what you lot want for this product. So this sounds like a journey that we would love to embark on. So you know getting the tick from the manufacturer was important for us. You know because there's loads of and you know she was one of the people as well. Her, getting her stamp saying yeah I think like this would be great. And um, so we've started developing the formula. And, you know, they was like, okay, so what do you want? I was like, look, I want a brand, a skincare range, not just, a, a, you know, one skew, but like a, the whole range. It needs to, for one, be a zero rating on this app. All the ingredients need to be a zero. Okay, we'll get to that. I said, I want it to be 100% natural. I was the most natural you can get it. And then they came back and, and was like, you know, 100% isn't, what we would advise for kids because, you know, microbes and fungus growing on products, you need shelf life. So, you know, you need to have a preservative in there. And and, and there's different types of preservatives. There's natural alternatives. Um, and it was like, okay, cool. We just want it to be the most natural you can possibly get. Like we want it to be as naturally derived as possible and we wasn't going to settle. And there was that. And then there was the checklist of the parent checklist of, you know, vegan, cruelty-free, you know, tear-free. So if it goes in their eyes, it doesn't burn. Alcohol-free. All of these sensitive skin, eczema. And then, you know, because we took so long formulating it, Nala was born and she had eczema. So that was like, you know, it needs to be suitable for eczema. It needs to not irritate eczema. It needs to, you know, be suitable for sensitive skin. At least we need all of these checklists. And then they was like, okay, that's great. And then we was like, but we want it to be about five pounds, five pound fifty. And that's where it was like, okay, this is gonna be really kind of difficult to do because it's like, if you want such a great product, it's gonna cost a lot. And then it made me realize why there's, this doesn't exist maybe, maybe, I still don't know. But 
why doesn't this exist? And it was like, we've got to really take a hit on the margins. But if we believe that we can make a great product and sell loads of units, then, you know, it's about the mass amount of sales rather than the niche market that can afford an expensive product. And and do, do you, you started this business with your ex-partner? Yes. At the time when you started this business, were you still together? Yes, we was. So you actually, you, you separated in the time of formulating the business? <laughs> yeah, we did. A lot of people, I mean, obviously... Yeah, for a lot been, of people, that would have been it. Yeah. You lot broken up. But, you know, I feel like one thing we've definitely prioritised is putting our daughter first. And, you know, we feel like this is something that if we get it right, it can be something we can pass down to our daughter or, or you know, her to be proud of, you know, because, you know, when she's older, we might not mm. even be in a company still. I don't know what could, anything can happen. We might not even be here. Or what, do you know whatever. what the company's valued at? Our one, mm. yeah. At the moment, 17 and a half. 17 and a half million. Yeah. Based on the orders that, obviously, the mount stores are in the orders and that wasn't even including, like, D to C. It was just based on, you know, our orders from Boots and our, uh, the rate of sale that we was expected to hit, which we've absolutely smashed since launching. But, um, yeah, it, um, and the, the investment as well, so... I mean, I've been seeing online, it's been selling out like crazy and... Uh, well, it's, like... My team has put in an order of like a, a, um, hundreds of thousands of bottles, yeah? Hundreds of thousands of bottles. Me being me, like, guys, this is a lot of bottles. Like, this is a lot of bottles. Like, are we sure we need to buy this many bottles? And my, my team, like, look, trust me. We know what we're doing. And then we're a week and a half in and I've run out of bottles. And we've already put in <laughs> the order for the the next um, cycle of production already. And that was meant to last us three months. And we've done all of our bottles in a week and a half, I would say. Well, now nearly two weeks. People literally can't find it. Going to the stores is sold out, sold out. I saw people selling it on eBay and stuff. It was, cr- it was crazy. Like people, literally, people are still trying to get hold of it. They're going into, I get messages Every day, people tell me, I can't, it's not available, it's not available, it's not available. And we've just literally had to, you know, sold out on our website, our stock gone. Like, everything was just selling out everywhere. It was like, it became like gold dust. People was like, oh my God, I finally, I managed to get one bottle. It was only a conditioner, but, you know, I'm, when you restock, I, it was, it, it's crazy. And we just did not see this. We knew it was going to, it was like, we, I knew it was going to do like well in terms of like I thought people will resonate with this because it's actually a really amazing product but it's actually exceeded everyone's expectations and you know now Boots is like yo we need a lot more stock and it's like how have we got to place another order already of making more stock to be available and it's just like at this rate like this rate of sale like what we valued our thing was before it's like definitely undervalued ourselves here based on what's what the, what's happening here and you know now we've got to think oh my god we've actually got to think about the next phase of investment now because you know we're, gonna we're going to be looking to, to expand <laughs> we're going to be looking to expand stores I'm going to make you an offer crap <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to offer you all of the money <laughs> for 98 98- <laughs> oh my god that's so funny 
So yeah, man, like we're literally just in awe of like everything that's happened and, you know, everybody coming in and, and trying to make it work and, you know, Boots cooperating and, you know, really being like, really like, you know, supportive of everything that's going on. And what have you learned? What I've learned is... As it relates to like, you know, people listening to this that might have their own ideas or they might be thinking about setting their, up their own business. What, what have you, what have you learned from this, you know, this process over the last two years of building this brand that you, that you didn't know before? What I've learned, I feel like this is the first time that I've been able to fully prepare for something in terms of you don't need to rush the process because initially when, you know, we was doing this brand, I was so excited about the brand and when it swanted it out and it was like, I could have, you know, done this brand a lot quicker. Cut corners. Could have. I could have, you know, when they sent us the first batch of samples, been like, yeah not gone back and said, no, I don't like this. I want to change this. What's the percentage? I want, I want, more, I want it more natural. I want it more this. I want, and now, now we need to, you know, do this test and that test. And this. And it was like, I, I didn't have to do all of that. I could have literally just, you know, got the brand after the first batch of samples, which is in the first couple months or whatever, and been like, yeah, let's just get it online. I didn't need to, you know, take my time we took our time, like any time there was a, a, a obstacle and it would cause us to push back and it was like, do you want to push back or do you want to just go ahead? No, just push it back. Let's just keep pushing it back because we need everything perfect. We need, we don't want to rush this process. You know, if something needs to be changed and it was like, I think we got it, got something back and it was at like 95% or something and natural and was like no if it's going to take us another month two months to get it to the 99 I'm just going to wait what have you learned about um, the importance of one of the first lessons I learned in business was because I'd also made the mistake previously and then when I got it right I realised how important it was is the like what have you learned about the importance of the people around you especially you're going into an area that you've not been in before retail even like it's the, the baby brand. market it's a brand new area. And so you've got to have, surely you've got to have people that... Know, know that world. Yeah. Like you, these are unknown unknowns to you. Like you going into that, it's the same with me in most er new areas that I've been in, in terms of industries. I don't even know what I don't know. Of course. And do you know what? One thing I've, 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 I've done with this is I let the experts be experts in, in certain aspects. And the issue is that how do you know they're experts? Because you don't even know if they're good. You don't, but all you can do is based on, you know, prior work, your relationship with them and them knowing what they're talking about. Um, and, you know, you can only gauge it to as much as your brain can gauge something to and you've got to kind of put trust in it, whether you might have to replace this or replace that person or this or get someone else to do that. It, might, it happens in business all the time. But, you know, I feel like I've been a good judge of character so far because everybody that's been in my team from the start is still here now. Isn't it funny how good people hire good people? 100%. And bad people hire bad people. 100%. It's probably the single biggest thing I think I could impress upon anyone from this conversation as well because I know you had you've, you said you've had that experience with Crepton Cones. It's just like... There'll be young people thinking about starting a business and those first decisions about who they do it with will be the single biggest predictor of their success or failure. As far as from my experience, like 100%. those first few people, if you pick a, if you pick a, if you take your time and really be ambitious with the talent you align yourself with, you say, do you know what? Why can't I work with the best person in the world in this? Not, not just Dave, 
who ain't got a job and he's got time on his hands, who I've, who I know went to school with. Like, why can't I find the best person in the world and inspire them to come with me on this and to fill my blind spots? People don't do that. A hundred percent. And also the other reason we don't do that and why I didn't do that when I started my business is because I don't think I can manage the best person in the world. Someone even double my age. I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So how am I going to tell them what to, you know what I mean? And that's an insecurity. That means we just go for Dave. A hundred percent. I can't remember who said it. They were saying something like, they, they, if you, if you're in a, a room or around people where, you know, you feel like you shouldn't be there. Mm. I can't remember where I was, where I was, where I was watching someone say that. And it was like, you should always feel like you shouldn't be here. Like you're the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, if you feel like you're, you're the smartest you shouldn't person in the room. be, yeah, then it's you shouldn't, way. you shouldn't be in, and you should always feel uncomfortable. Yeah, like yeah. as in like almost like you shouldn't be here yeah, yeah yeah. like and those are the rooms that you should be in or those are the people that yeah. you need to be trying to you know bring on the journey with you and that's the growth room yeah and that's the growth room and you can't be afraid of that you gotta be able to go in there and say like look this is who i am this is what i know and this is what i'm doing and do you want to embark on this journey with me and not feel a way to do that because i feel like a lot of people might be shy to go and approach this person or you know say like even even me coming to you who's seen a hundred million people talking about business to show you the business i'm doing yeah and you know being able to just feel confident and Mm. enough to do that because some people would have thought nah because you you're you're the first person that will pick apart something you know what i'm saying (laughs) like okay so uh, this doesn't make sense (laughs) so i was just like you know but i i've learned to just be that person and not be afraid to, you know, go and approach someone who might be 10 times more expressed in this field than me. And I don't feel scared to do that because that's the only way I'm going to grow. You are always one decision away from taking your business to the next level. And a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite, who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already, NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky, and it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks, so head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode. I want to talk to you about mu- music as well before we finish. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I... I almost couldn't believe because it just feels like the most unfortunate timing ever is that you're attacked backstage. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, yeah, I was backstage and then like loads of people just come backstage and then they, they, they was asking about someone who I had no idea what they was talking about. I was, just, it was just a mad confusing hole. And then someone grabbed my chain, my cadet, uh, my cousin. And then I just remember seeing knives like, like literally like my jacket was like, it was crazy. Like it, I just, all I remember is seeing I had to fight my way through it to get through the door, to close the door. But 
yeah and then I looked down and my jacket was just full of rips and then I looked at my leg and it was soaking my hand was bleeding I was like it was crazy and um, I remember the ambulance was like if this was a millimetre deeper you would have got your artery in your leg and it would have been a different scenario and it was a bunch of guys I don't even know who they are never met them never had issue with them like don't it was crazy in in Birmingham because they all just rushed backstage. But yeah, it's crazy. And that, um, yeah, no, that wasn't real. In like, it wasn't. In, oh, right, it was a different. Yeah, yeah, it was just a completely different um, thing. But it was like Nash and Cadet passing within the same year. That was the real like. They, they not passed. on the same year, but within a year. So right. Nash passed in the summer of 2018 then cadet passed um four days after my birthday five days after my birthday right cadet passed in february so who's who's for people that don't know who is i mean cadet in and of itself is is very well known very well loved but who is cadet to you cadet is my cousin my first cousin um my dad and his dad are brothers and he was a musician as well and he passed just you know he was just having his break record and his record was was growing and like he was really in his you know that moment where you're about to just and he was there and he passed away in a car accident on the way to a show um which which was just like it was crazy because um just like a few weeks prior, my uncle, Cadet's father, just told us he'd been diagnosed with a brain tumour. And that he, I remember him just saying, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And that was the last, you know, so we began mentally preparing for my uncle. And they're, and they're saying, the doctors are saying that, you know, I've got a couple months at max. And we was trying to get through that. Um, and then two weeks later, cadet passes in a car accident on the way to a show. Um, and he was in a full car and he was the only one that passed away, which was like, it, it was crazy. And it just makes me feel like, you know, if something's destined for you, then it's destined for you because there was so many variables that that could have changed that situation in terms of, you know, he was coming around a corner, a blind corner, and the guy that was driving was drunk, driving a van, and he they crashed on the, on the corner on a country road. So if Cadet was 10 seconds later or 10 seconds earlier, that wouldn't have happened. And there was, like, variables of he missed the cab before. So there was men getting an earlier cab, but he missed that. Then they had to call another one and then get in, 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 that, in that cab. And then... The other variable was they wasn't even meant to get a cab there. There was meant to actually just drive to the show, but the person that was meant to drive them couldn't end up making it. So then they've had to go there and then, you know, get a cab. And there was so much different variable. And it just was like 10 seconds, five seconds even. So it was the drunk driver that hit the drunk driver, yeah, he was drunk. And he he drove head on into the, the taxi and the car was full and he was behind the taxi driver. And... It, the impact on his head is what 
killed him. He was a, he was more than just a cousin to you, though, wasn't he? Yeah, like he was like my whole life. Like we grew together, like as in like my mum was at his birth, his mum was at my birth. Like from day dot, we've been like this, you know, and like we grew together. We done everything together, shared so much first memories together. And then we had like a little moment of, of or period where our relationship became rocky because I started being successful in music and he wanted to do music as well. And because it was the same argument with him, it was like, you need to you need to go a bit more hard with this music. You need to do this, you need to do that. And so we invited him to Wireless. Um, we was performing at Wireless Festival. And was like, just come, like, get inspired. We've got, we've got, we're about to perform, it's going to be sick. And <clears throat> he came and I remember he was like, I'm so charged, I'm so charged. And then, he, you know, he got in the studio, he was like sending me loads of music. He was like, it was a whole different energy. And then, you know, you could feel that energy, you know, being resonated with, you know, fans and the audience. And then he started really building this, you know, following and he's, you know, he was really great at storytelling. Like he was an amazing storyteller and people loved that about him. And he, you know, it just started all happening for him. And then before he died, I remember he done a, um, he, he put like a clip of him doing a song with another artist called Dino. Like they put a clip up and then I remember Kona was saying to him like, turn this into a song, make this a song. This is, make this an actual record. That song now has gone, you know, to be platinum, selling, and it was independent. And, you know, we was having those conversations about money. He was like, we, because we was like, look, this song's picking up. You're about to see really good money. And he was like, yeah, but it's not here now. And I'm saying, yeah, because it takes a while to get processed and for you to receive it. But, and he was like, shall I sign the record? Shall I sign it to a label? Because the label will offer me, you know, 100 grand, 150 grand right now for it. I'm saying, no, this song is already doing what it's doing without any label. Just do it independently and just let it build. And you'll make so much more than what they're offering. And he was like, all right, cool. That's what I'm going to do. And then the song just kept getting bigger and bigger. You know, it's silver. 200,000 copies, 300,000 copies. It was just growing. And then, you know, he was finally having that moment where he was about to, you know, break through. And then he had a, the, the accident. And then it was just like, everything just came crashing down. And that was like, within the same, like within a year of Nash passing away. And Nash was like my best friend. And then Blaine passing away, the cadet's name's Blaine, passing away, you know, within months after that. And I've just lost these two pillars in my life within a year whilst being told my uncle's going to die. Do you remember where you were when you found out? Yeah, I was in <clears throat> Dubai. Um, my partner at the time, Sasha, <clears throat> um, took me to Dubai for my birthday. And um, we was, I was packing and walking in the lobby to go to the airport back to come back. So I was on the way back to London. And then my friend CJ 
was calling me. But the time that it was, it was at, at, like it was like two a.m. or one two a.m. in London, and I, I think it was like six six a.m. where I was. It was like four hours difference or something. But I just remember looking at the phone, yeah, and thinking, because CJ doesn't call me, but he's really close with Cadet. But so he doesn't call me like as in like he wouldn't. He was not one to call me at that time of night for anything. So I'm looking at my phone. And I don't know how my brain processed that there was an issue in such a short time. And he called me. I was like, the time in the UK is 2 a.m. CJ never calls me. Why is he calling me? Something's gone wrong. He's Him and Blaine are like this. Something's gone wrong with Blaine. And I answered the phone. I'd just done all of that, like, straight away. I was just like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm answered the phone, and he's literally crying on the phone. And I knew straight away like I knew I didn't know what how like sorry I didn't know how or I just knew that something was wrong and it was to do with Blaine because he's calling me and he's just crying on the phone crying on the phone and I'm just like what 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 and then he said he's gone and he didn't need to say Blaine cadet he didn't need to say that because I I knew exactly who he was talking about. And then he said, and he, but he wasn't talking properly. He was like, car crash. Like, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. Like, and then I just remember, like, I ran out of breath. I was, I had to lean on something. Like, I, my breath was going, like, I felt like I was literally going to drop down and faint in the middle of the hotel. And I was just, like, I, d- I didn't even know what to feel like I'm about to get on a plane I've just found out my cousin's passed away and I'm you know stuck in an aeroplane like this whole time I'm just going through customs and doing this and doing this but I've just found out my cousin's died and I'm just like get me back now like it was one of the worst if not the worst feeling like ever like losing him was uh, like uh, it was horrible like, it was horrible. And, you know, he was so such an important person in my life. Like, I would speak to him about everything. Like, every idea, every song I play it to him. Like, every, just everything. Like, he was, like, everything to me. Do you know what I mean? And to lose him, it was just, it was hard. It was horrible. And just something was still dealing with, still dealing with it till today still I still I haven't even taken my foot off the gas since to sit down and actually take in that he's not here up until today I haven't do you remember the last thing that you that Blaine said to you yes the last thing he said to me was um, just know that I love you for real for real and I've got your Gucci socks for your birthday that was the last thing he said to me and I was congratulating him on getting his first apartment because he just got his apartment and he was like, yo, I'm really feeling like, starting to feel like a rapper now. Like, I'm starting to feel like... Um, and yeah, and he was like, I've got these Gucci socks here for you when, you, when you're back. When I'm, meaning I was in Dubai. And that was the last time we spoke.
I can see you're still processing it. Wow. What's on your mind? I just feel like you should be here, man. And witnessing everything. And like, I just felt like it was too soon. Like he was on the brink of doing something great. And it was just like it just got taken away from him. And yeah, it just felt too soon. Like, you know, when someone has so much to, to, to offer, like he has so much to offer the world. He was like, his presence was so infectious. Like he's that person that will come somewhere and you just you will remember him. Because like he's such a troll comedian, makes you laugh, so positive, hasn't got a bad bone in his body. Like he's he's the pers he was the person that will tell you, all the friends, I love you, bro. And everyone's like, Oh bro, stop saying that. He would say, Yeah, I love you. And he would say it, look you dead in your eyes and say, Yeah, I love you. And he didn't feel a way to say that. And he, you know, he was always so expressive and he made us feel comfortable to be like, no, I love you, man. I love you too. I love you too. Like, my brother, I love you. Like, and, you know, he was that guy. And, you know, he had the most infectious laugh. Like, he was so honest with, you know, when you're trying to make a decision, he'll give you the most honest opinion. If you think something's not good or nothing, something's a terrible idea. Like, he was that person, man. And... He was a big part of me. So that's why I feel like I haven't and don't want to sit down and process it. And it's not easy. You know, I, we buried, not buried, but my uncle got cremated, but his funeral was yesterday. So he passed away a few weeks ago. They gave him a few months. He lived an extra few years. So he was a fighter. Um, but I've lost both of them. And, like, they're both important role models in my life. Like, my uncle was, he was the guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, the, he was the responsible, the guy. Like, my dad is more the, you know, I, I can go and do something with my dad that we shouldn't be doing. Like, he's that guy, do you know what I'm saying? And me and my dad are really close now, do you know what I mean? But my uncle was always that, if I need advice or this is what I'm going through or what, what shall I do here? And, you know, even talking to him about Nala's and him saying like, you know, you, sh you should do this right, get investment. Well, in those moments when you realise that life can be unfair and precious in equal measure, people often speak about things, words that went unsaid, things they wish they could say in hindsight. Something that I think a lot about with my parents as well. I try and reflect on the fact that they're not going to be here forever and that there's certain things I wish I, I should probably be saying to them now. That, I, that at some point when I realise, which we uh, life teaches us in the most unfortunate ways, that life is finite, it's not guaranteed and it is precious, that um, we realise when it's too late and people, as they say, get the roses um, after they can smell them. Definitely. Um, is there anything that you, you, when you reflect on words you, 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 you wish you could have said to him or you wish you could say now that, 
that um, that comes to mind? Is there anything where you go, do you know what, I wish in hindsight, now I know how precious life is, I wish that this had been different or... Um, no, but he did teach me a very valuable lesson because otherwise I would have had that regret and that would have been eating me up until today was us sorting out our little issues that we had and becoming close again and not letting that drag out because if we didn't, yeah, I would have lived in regret for the rest of my life. The fact that I didn't, you know, Put the we didn't hug, hug, a, hug, a, hug through it and turn our page and, and get on with what we are as cousins, blood and family. And, you know, we've been in each other's lives forever. We trust, love each other. Like if I didn't, rectify that situation we didn't rectify that situation how would I felt so it's definitely taught me from there when I have issues with people that are close to me or arguments with family members let's forget that sort it out now we've got to sort it out now let's argue let's scream at each other now but let's do it now and let's hug afterwards that's what it's taught me I don't want to you know live in regret and think oh like on the last conversation we had was we was arguing wasn't even talking our words were harsh or you know because that can happen and also other little moments of spending time you know I feel like especially even after yesterday and just seeing my family that was at Blaine's funeral at my uncle's funeral and thinking that if this was me these are the same people that are going to be there for me this is who I need to be focusing my time and energy on. Because these are the people that care the most. I'm not saying no one don't care. But as in, these are the people that are going to be here if this happens to me. Who's, these are the people that are lifting my uncle's casket that is going to go and lift my casket. This is where I need to, to, to really focus and spend my time. Because everything else is great, it's, it's lovely, but, you know anything can happen to me and that means nothing and then it means everything to my family do you think you need to um confront some of those things that you've kept yourself distracted from confronting the grief the loss yeah, i do and how how do you think you'd, you'd go about doing that because i've heard you speak about and encourage other people to go to therapy before mm-hmm. and have those conversations but from what i was able to ascertain that's not something you've done yet I, haven't, I haven't done therapy i'm not I just, I just, I just felt like, you know, if if someone feels like they want to go therapy, don't feel weird by going to therapy. I, I don't know why that was even even seemed as weird at a stage, or not even weird. Sorry, it used to be stigmatized. Yeah, therapy, crazy or something. Yeah, like whatever it was, but it's not. It's just it's normal. But I haven't done it because I feel like I'm on this treadmill. Yes, and that's why I haven't done it, and I feel like. Therapy is going to be the thing to make me actually take everything in. And I feel maybe I'm scared to go therapy. Maybe. But I feel like I should. We have a closing tradition on this podcast where the last guest asks the next guest a question. They don't know who they're writing it for. And I don't get to read the question until I open this book. So, um, Interesting. These are always quite difficult because they're always quite profound. But um, when was the last time you changed your mind 
about something life-changing? I think the last time I changed my mind was Nala's baby. The fact of, you know, we just broke up and we had that, yeah, no, nah, we're not going to do this because it just don't make sense. And then having that, you know what? Nah, we've got to put our daughter first. Change, change my mind. Let's do it. 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 And it was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. And, you know, I feel like what we're about to achieve with that God willing, you know, was a life changing decision. It's interesting because when I reflect on the story you've shared with me today, there was another moment where you had to make a big decision sat in that car after Conan was, Conan's family was attacked. Yes. And it's funny in hindsight how you can see how a decision just in the opposite direction that could have happened through emotion in the moment, a, a decision not to choose maturity or to put something more important first could have sent your life in a completely different direction. And yes. Even, just for temporary feelings, you know, a decision you can make can make a permanent outcome. And it's just like, yeah, think about it. Crap. Thank you for your time. It's been, I mean, it's been incredibly inspiring to, to meet you, to get to know you, to see what you've done. And I don't know, I feel like life might have, you know, made us cross paths for a reason because I was thinking a lot about a lot of things to do with like money and investing and how, you know, how to be a better role model for the next generation of people and young people from slightly challenging backgrounds. And then I'd met you that day. You were doing this incredible thing with Nala's baby. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like the universe had conspired to inspire me at that exact moment um, to make sure that your story and what you're doing becomes the role model becomes the the thing that young people are aspiring to do because not only did you have huge success in this one area of hip-hop music and rap and and those things but for you then to go into a completely unexpected a slightly bizarre to be honest <laughs> lane of like babies it is, it is. the baby wear industry it's the it's the most perfect example of like resisting your labels your labels told you to be a rapper to rap but in resisting your labels, you went into a completely different area where you're absolutely not allowed to be, Definitely. according to yes. society. 100%. And for you to make a huge success there, I think is the best evidence we can all take on for our own lives that we are not our labels. We can do anything. And um, and and also um, you've given such clarity on like the steps that we take to get there, the importance of team, the importance of hard work. And, and much of it is just the importance of self-belief because... When your partner was was having those concerns about other baby wear pro- baby products on the market, a lot of people would have just accepted it. They would have just taken the product that had the eight rating. But there's a certain type of person that goes, maybe we can change this, and that's what you did. So thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for the generosity of your time, and thanks for sharing your story. one decision away from taking your business to the next level and a decision that's helped me to transform my business is moving over to NetSuite who I'm excited to say are a sponsor of this podcast. If you don't know already NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
It's reduced IT costs because it lives in the cloud, so you can access it from anywhere. And the cost of managing and running multiple systems because it's in one unified business management suite. My team and I don't have to worry about tasks being manual and clunky. And it means that I can be more efficient and to focus on more important things like bringing you the best episodes and guests on this show. So I become one of the 37,000 companies that have already made the move over to NetSuite. NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head to netsuite.com slash Bartlett for a free product tour. Back to the episode.